our minds constantly are making idols. We need to be people who don't do that. John, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, says to believers, to followers of Jesus Christ, keep yourselves from idols. In fact, he said, keep ourselves. He includes himself. Keep ourselves from idols. It's our responsibility. Who is on the throne of our life? The worship of God is our highest call. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. Is God of first importance to us? What's of first importance? The next thing we see is we see a second chance. What's of first importance? A second chance. The pressures in sixth century in the 6th century BC, are not too different to what's happening around us today. We can believe what we like. We can do what we want. We can worship anything as long as we conform. Tolerance is one of the mantras of our day. Everyone went along with the king apart from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their work colleagues dobbed them in. I mean, no one loves a dobber, do they? No doubt they thought... These guys thought they'd benefit from the demise of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He's furious that they won't conform. Is it true you don't serve my gods or the image of gold I have set up? And he gives them a second chance. Oh, how good is he? What a kind despot. What a generous tyrant, gives them a second chance. And here's the pressure to compromise. He brings the full weight of his influence to bear. Conformity was essential. You see, the world around us won't accept our no, we don't want to do that. It will keep giving us second chances. And the aim is for us to compromise. If you read the story of Samson and Delilah in the Old Testament, you read a story of someone who was worn down by the pressure to compromise. And in the end, he gave in. This man who was called of God, filled with God's Spirit, he gave in. He was called to be a spiritual leader and he ended up blind, wandering, milling corn for the God of the Philistines. That's what happened to him because he compromised, gave his life, wasted for years and years of his life. He wasted serving another God and he couldn't do anything about it because he compromised. God's challenge to us is don't give in to compromise. If you love me, you'll sleep with me. Everyone's hooking up. I'll tell you what, I learned something this week. I had no idea uh, what that was talking about. And I was reading an article and the phrase hooking up, it's basically saying casual sex now is a precursor to deciding whether you want a relationship with someone. 
That's what, that, that's what I was reading. That's, that's the language that's being talked about. Work demands are becoming more and more unreasonable. I was talking to someone this week who was telling me about a workplace where basically those managing the business have made, made a mess of it. And there isn't enough money to pay the salaries. And so those man running the business have come to the staff who are paid hardly anything and said, right, we want you to come up with a solution to this. Be creative. You say, well, who's running this business? Who's got us into this mess? We're giving you, this is an opportunity. Opportunity? You may feel that you can do your job in three days. That's great. If you can do it in three days... It's only for the moment, well, hang on a second, so if I show you I can do my job in three days, when the business turns around, you're going to pay me to do it in five days. And it's my responsibility to sort out your mess. We live in a culture where the pressure to compromise, the pressure to give in, the pressure to give in to other people's wants and desires is great. These three men weren't interested in second chances. They were unwavering. If we're thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we won't compromise. John Calvin said, These men had determined and resolved in their inmost souls not to depart a single inch from the true and lawful worship of God. When Hernando Cortez landed on the, the coast of the New World with his soldiers, he knew there was a key moment. And as they got off their boats, he burnt the boats behind them. There was no going back. He was all in. Conquer or perish. What about us? Have we got that? determination in us. We are not going to compromise. We will not give in. We've burnt our bridges. We've got a, a baptism coming up. You know, I want to encourage you, if you are a believer in Jesus, the first thing Jesus asks us to do as follows is, he says, believe and be baptized. It's the first thing he asks. It's an act of obedience. Are we all in? What's of first importance? Or will we? Well, I don't. I just don't feel like it at the moment. Well, it's not about what we feel like. What does he say? Is he not our Lord, or, or maybe he isn't? It's a challenge to us, and I wanted want you to know that actually there's something that the enemy, the devil, hates about baptism. He hates the fact that it's a public declaration that Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's given my life to him. He hates it. And so he resists it. And so it stirs up all sorts of emotion. And sometimes people feel like they've stepped out of the frying pan into the fire. But I want to tell you, don't compromise. Don't give in to the pressure. You see... We know that God is able to deliver. God can deliver us out of any circumstances. But we also know, if you've been around as a Christian for some time, you know that it doesn't always work out as we plan. We would write the script differently. This isn't the script that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have written. 
Romans chapter 5 verses 3 to 5 tells us that God may allow trials and difficulties in our lives to build character, strengthen faith, or for reasons that we don't understand. God simply asks that we trust Him. And we read of characters through the Bible like Job, who in the midst of the most incredible suffering was able to say of God, though He slay me, I will hope in Him. You see, Job didn't see dying as failure. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not see dying as failure. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Don't give in to the world's second chances. And if you won't give in, I can guarantee that you will experience the third degree. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's attitude changes. It really is toys out of the pram time. The furnace is heated seven times hotter. I mean, as if hot wasn't hot enough. Seven times hotter. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are facing the third degree. Third degree burns are the most severe. It's a euphemism for torture. When they won't play ball, they're tied up and thrown in the furnace by soldiers who die in the process of doing it. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. And we see Nebuchadnezzar for who he really is, an arrogant, proud bully. And the world around us is no different to Babylon. We're not more civilized. Don't be fooled. This world is capable of some of the most horrendous things. And the pressure to compromise will only get greater and greater in the years ahead. And if we refuse to compromise, don't be refused at the reaction. When we're facing the third degree, never forget it's God who's allowed it to happen. God is sovereign. History is His story. God planned for Shadrach and his friends to face this trial. He is testing their faith. He's looking to see it proved as greater worth than gold. They are being refined. What about you? Are you going through the third degree at the moment? Maybe it's in terms of your health. Maybe it's in terms of work situations. Maybe it's about stuff that's happening in your family relationships, finances. Whatever it is, we need to know alongside us is the fourth man. When we're going through the third degree, the fourth man is always with us. You see, Nebuchadnezzar looks inside the furnace. All three men are walking unbound and unharmed. And there's someone else there as well. And the brightness of the fourth person stands out amidst a blazing furnace that's burning seven times hotter than normal. This person stands out in the midst of it. Who is it? We're not told. Nebuchadnezzar says it's a son of the gods. It's a, maybe it's an angel. And commentators over the years have commentated maybe it's an angel of God. Many people, myself included, believe it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Pre-incarnate. Before Jesus became a man. He existed. He was with the Father in heaven. My personal view is that in that moment, Jesus Christ was walking in the furnace with them. 
But it, whoever it was, whether it was an angel or whether it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, the truth is this. The message is, in the midst of the third degree, God is with us. He may not take us out of the trial, but He's with us in the midst of it. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 to 6. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? Do we grasp the enormity of what God is saying? He's not a man that he should lie, we're told, in Numbers chapter 23. Malachi chapter 3 tells us he never changes. God says, I never change. We're told by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that all of his promises are yes to us in Jesus Christ. You see, God is saying whatever happens, he will never leave us. Whatever happens. You see, it's about his promise, not about our feelings. It's not about whether we feel he's with us. It's about what he says. He is with us. You see, there's much more to it than this. Is God not all-powerful? If he is all-powerful in who he says he is, then nothing is too difficult for him. So in Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah says, Our Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Nothing is too difficult for you. If God is with us, the all-powerful God is with us. His strength works on our behalf. The Lord is my strength, we're told in the Psalms. Is God loving? Yes, but... More than that, he is love. His presence can fill us with joy in the midst of a fiery furnace. It's true. I've watched people prove it to be true. They have found God's presence with them in the midst of the most difficult circumstances and they have found a deep joy that has helped them stand. The joy of the Lord has been their strength. They haven't gone around with a silly, beautific grin on their face because it's been painful. But they have known a deep joy in their hearts. In his presence, our hearts can know rest. If we're feeling weak, we can know the mighty strength of God with us, enabling us to do all that we need to do. If we're feeling unloved and rejected, the God who created the heavens loved us. This good, good Father is with us. Do we need mercy? Does joy feel like a distant relative? Are our hearts feeling troubled? Everything changes if He is with us. Spurgeon says this, There is nothing you can want. There is nothing you can ask for. There is nothing you can need in time or in eternity. There is nothing living, nothing dying. There is nothing in this world, nothing in the next world. There is nothing now, nothing at the resurrection morning, nothing in heaven which is not contained in this text. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
God is with us. The fourth man reminds us that God is in control. You see, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control. He wasn't. God was in control. Nebuchadnezzar has to ask them to come out of the furnace. Suddenly his tone changes. Suddenly he calls them servants of the Most High God. In reality, nothing changes in his heart. We're not told that he takes down the statue. We're not told that he suddenly becomes a a, a nice person, a worshiper of God. But he is shown in a moment God is in control. God is always in control. Whether Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived or died, God was in control. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? They were never forgotten by God. Never forgotten. God never forgets us. There's an old hymn. Many of you won't know it. It says this. God is still on the throne. And he will remember his own. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, he never will leave us alone. God is still on the throne. He never forsaketh his own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. Do you feel forgotten? Do you feel forgotten? Do your feelings tell you you're forgotten? Well, you join a long line through history of people who felt like that. Joseph, when he's in prison in the Old Testament, he's saying, remember me. Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Job, David, remember me. God, remember me. And the cry of every person who feels they're forgotten is answered at the cross. You remember the story, Jesus is on the cross and there's a criminal hanging alongside him and this criminal that who hasn't, he's been railing, he's been, he's been shouting at Jesus, he's been accusing him, he's been mocking him in the early part of the crucifixion. But as he's hanging there alongside him, as he's hanging there alongside him, something happens. He looks into the face of Jesus, he can do not much else and he sees something And with his dying breath, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says this, today you will be with me in paradise. The cry of every person who feels they've been forgotten is answered at the cross. Jesus Christ was rejected that we might never be rejected. Jesus Christ was forgotten that we might never be forgotten by the Father. God is in control. And finally, God sets us free. In the midst of the furnace, all that bound these men fell away. Jesus can set us free in the midst of a trial. And I've watched people over the years, and many of you are in this room, who have lived in extraordinary freedom in the midst of the most horrendous and difficult trials. And the fire of adversity simply sets you free because God's grace is always enough. And if you're sitting here feeling this morning, you don't know my circumstances, then I want to say to you with all the love I can muster, you don't know the depths of the grace of God. However tough it is, God's grace is deeper. God's grace goes beneath and underneath. The everlasting arms never let you go. You may not feel it. You may not see it. 
but he will never let you go. You see, the fire didn't harm them. They were delivered in the flames. Their hair wasn't singed and their clothes not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. God keeps his promise. It says this in Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You, 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 you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God's great promise to us is that He will never let us go. We can't write the script. We don't know the end of the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know, but they were prepared. They trusted God. And I want to urge you with all my heart today, trust God. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. It's a great opportunity for you to do that today. You can find him to be the faithful one who will never let you go, who will be with you through the trials of life. It doesn't mean that things won't go wrong. It doesn't mean that life won't be tough. But what it does mean is this, is that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who loves you like a father, will be with you. Maybe this morning you're going through some really tough times. I, there's some of you in here who I know are going through some real difficulties. I want you to know this. He is with you. He is with you. You might not feel it, but he is with you. And he wants to know that he loves you and he's for you. And we'd love to pray for you this morning if that's you.